0: Bringing European SaaS together was the initial premise for Talk. Even in its first year, we outgrew that proposition with attendees from over 30 countries, making it a global conference with a European heart. Talk will be returning to Dublin in October 2022, and our super early bird tickets are on sale now, saving you 400 euros. Grab yours by visiting sastock.com forward slash sastock- 2022. If you're a young founder, you are doing founder marketing, okay? Until you can hire someone to take that over. So, what that looks like? Get that product out there. Give give it to your network. You know, there's product hunt. There's communities like Sastock where you can kind of network and you know attend events and things like that, and make people aware of you and what you're trying to do to kind of get folks in the door.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution Show, brought to you by Sastock the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth, and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thumer, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. So without further ado, let's welcome uh, Nelson Giliat, uh, author of Death of the SDR, uh, to the stage, there we are, Nelson. How's it going?
0: Good, hey Alex. Hey everyone. Good to be with you.
1: Yeah, uh, thanks for thanks for joining us. Um, where are you? Where are you dining in from?
0: So right now, I am in upstate New York, in uh, Westboro. Uh, so kind of the boonies. Um, if anyone is uh, Jewish, they might know it's like the borscht belt area. Um, you know, kind of like the old Jewish resorts back in the day. <laughs>
1: Very cool. I've never heard of the Boonies, but I have watched the Goonies. <laughs> I don't know if that's uh, any relation or, or, or just a terrible joke, uh, but um, maybe, uh, I, I don't know if any of the members there have been to the Boonies or upstate New York. Actually, I, I would love to go to upstate New York. It's on the, it's on the wish list. We've done New York hmm. a few times, but really just the, the city. Um, so, kind of Are keep- you inviting yourself over, Alex? <laughs> I well, I, I, I think so. I, I, I think so. Um, good, good stuff. And I see uh, we've got uh, Dave Graham. Uh, good to see you, uh, our own DG, Dave Graham, is here. Uh, Michael Kamelitner. Good to see you, Michael. Uh, Dieter Dahmers. Uh, welcome, uh, everyone. Um, so N- Nelson, before we we start <coughs> talking about the topic today, this controversial death of the, the the SDR, and you know we have all these SaaS founders here who probably have a lot of SDRs, and wondering like you know what why why are you um uh, you know saying that there, uh, there is this uh, you know the, the death of the sdr sort of role um quickly just tell us a little bit about yourself um you know what you what you've been doing before you wrote the book why you wrote the book uh and, and that'll give us a little bit of like context before we kind of jump in
0: yeah sure so hey everyone um i'm the author of the death of the sdr and the birth of Virus-Centric revenue published the book about two months ago. And you know I've been in B2B SaaS for about six or so years, um, kind of wore all the different hats, SDR, sales, both as an AE and then kind of as an AE slash CSM combined. Um, so like a full sales role. And I've also done product marketing, I've done demand gen, content marketing. And I've worked at a very big company and I've also then worked at a very small startup, um, like a six person startup. Um, a YC company. And, you know, I, I just saw a lot of the problems that have been going on in B2B that I think a lot of people are aware of across marketing and sales. And I was trying to kind of figure out and diagnose like, you know, what, what are these problems? You know, what's causing them? Um, and then how to fix them. And so I kind of became very focused on that when I was at the very big company, I saw like this company was running the predictable revenue model, which we'll talk about and which is what I challenge. Um, and then when I got to the small tech company. And and I think this is a really good thing for people who are here. I think it's, it, it's a really amazing time to be a startup right now, because I think if you can avoid all the, you know, we talk about tech baggage, but if we can avoid all the marketing and sales baggage, uh, or technical debt, or marketing and sales debt, um, and you can kind of avoid bad practices, it's a great time to be starting a company. But it was when I was at that startup, I realized, um, you know, when we were building this, this marketing and sales engine from the ground floor, and we didn't, adopt the predictable revenue model, um, what is possible. And so what ended up being like me trying to help create the ideal model at this company, and then realizing, oh, my God, like, you know, the predictive revenue model is the cause of these problems, here's like a, a better alternative, I think, and then sharing that with people. And so I wrote the book, um, over the course of about a year or so, um, you know, and, and hopefully help people kind of you know, just have a better marketing and sales playbook. Um, you know, help uh, help companies just grow better.
1: Awesome. Uh, th- thanks for the context. Uh, there, um, plenty of questions, a uh, uh, sort of thing about. So let, let, let's kind of start off with like the what, what what is the state of B two B marketing set? Uh, you know, sales at the moment, and I, I guess kind of according to you, uh, and I guess your, your sort of research. You know, how bad or you know good are are things?
0: Yeah. Sure. So. You know, I see a lot of problems in marketing and sales. I see that, um, you know, marketers are very frustrated um, having to kind of support the SDR model. Um, and they, you know, they're kind of lamenting that and they're trying to break free from it. Um, and that's affecting their, their, their performance and their productivity, their, their tenure, their turnover. Same thing with the SDRs. Um, the SDRs we all know are suffering, are miserable. They hate it. They can't wait to escape. Um, they're all underperforming. Most of them, I think it's something like 83% of SDR teams are underperforming, you know. Um, they're, they're missing their, their uh, meeting quotas. Um, they're turning over very frequently. Um, and so, you know, it's just, it, it, and I think COVID, it helped to kind of shine a light up on things and accelerate that. So, you know, especially in the last year, it's become very clear to people that the SDRs are in trouble and people are rethinking that role. And then also sales. So, you, you know, SDR is marketing. They're supposed to support sales. And sales are also suffering. High turnover, low tenure, low productivity, low performance, low job satisfaction. And many of them are missing their, their revenue targets. Um, and so there's a big problem. That's a really big problem for, for companies who are trying to grow today when your marketing and sales, uh, you know, engine is, is, is not performing very well um and it's broken um these days it's easier than ever to build products or no code products and you know products are converging um you know you know and so you're going to have competitors out there coming you know if they're not there already they're going to come on very quick with similar features and benefits and pricing um the distinguishing factor for your company's growth is marketing and sales so it's like the way i think about it is if you go to a bar and there's a lot of guys there oh, and you're trying to woo the girl um, you know, a lot of good looking dudes, but you have to put on the charm. You have to do the marketing and sales. You have to, you know, woo them over to, to, so that they, that they, uh, you know, want to, to be with you. So, um, it, it, it's, it's a huge competitive advantage today. Um, but a lot of companies, and I think, uh, what's great about again, for founding companies right now, or young companies, um, they'll have a big competitive advantage, over their incumbents especially the big dinosaurs who are kind of calcified in the old model um, which is really slowing them down um, and hurting them and so i think to to the extent that you avoid that model will be the extent of your competitive advantage um, now that i've kind of set the, dre- the the dreary scene is to kind of talk about like what is the actual problems that like, what's caused, co- like what is causing this bad state of sales um, but I just wanted to pause there for any reaction or thoughts on that before going on.
1: Yeah, if you've got any re- reaction, like throughout, I mean, especially to what Nelson has just said to to set the context, uh, let us know. If you agree, uh, put agree. If you disagree, uh, put disagree in in the comments. If you're not sure and you're still waiting to kind of like find out your opinion, uh, also kind of put uh, like not sure. But uh, please do sort of like drop in the uh, in the comments. And and also just as a reminder: any questions that you have as and when you think of them, like drop them in the, uh, in the sessions chat uh, and we'll come to them and, and, and get Nelson to answer uh, the questions. So uh, I, I'm sure uh, those comments will, will, will come in. Um, so yeah, in terms of uh, Nelson, you mentioned the, the problems causing this state. What are the problems? What are the solutions?
0: Yeah, sure. So fundamentally I think there's four problems um, across marketing and sales. Um, The first one is prospecting. The second one, which is a marketing thing, we'll talk about that. The second one is the sales assembly line or seller specialization or buyer handoffs, um, you know, such as the AECSM split, which is the basic split, but then in practice is often a lot of subdivisions and we'll talk about that. Uh, And then there's also um, quotas and commissions. So, you know, a lot of, you know, Most of these affect sales more, um, but particularly prospecting affects marketing more. Now, marketing and sales is a commercial unit responsible, who should be responsible together for revenue and pipeline. If sales isn't doing well, then marketing doesn't do well. And so they kind of, you know, it's like a basketball team. You got the point guard, you got the center. Um, And if one's not doing well, the other's gonna suffer. If if your marketing and sales team are properly aligned on stuff, um, which they aren't today. (laughs) And we'll talk about that. Um, but those are the four things prospecting sales assembly on quoting commission that I think you should avoid. And I've got alternatives to that, that you should pursue. Um, now fundamentally, I think that the predictable revenue model, which is the marketing and sales playbook that most B2B companies run on to a sizable extent, not fully, not, they don't take it straight. They can, (laughs) um, but that's sort of like the model that they're kind of working with. Um, and that I that I think is responsible for prospecting and for the sales assembly line. Predictable revenue is not responsible for commission and quota. They've been around for a while. So I don't wanna sully predictable revenue as being responsible for something bad, that it's not responsible. So, um, but I do think that the the predictive revenue model, um, which was again, based on the, you know, late nineties, early two thousands was when this kind of practice came about. Um, and then Aaron Ross popularized it in his 2011 book, predictable revenue. And so all these companies, all these tech companies, whoa, Salesforce did it in the early two (laughs) thousands. Like let's do that. Um, and that's, you know, understandable to some extent. Um, but it's not the early two thousands and you're not Salesforce and it's not like Salesforce was only doing what, you know, Aaron Ross kind of talked specifically about prospecting in the sales assembly line, but there was also other stuff that Salesforce was doing and other factors that, that you know, were to take into account that other things are doing the marketing and sales. In any case, I think that in the past 20 or so years, we all know buyer preferences have changed and how they wanna be marketed to and how they can buy technology has changed and what marketing can do nowadays has changed. Like social media wasn't around, like, you know, this group wasn't around a lot of the online Slack groups or channels or forums weren't around. Um, you know, so there's just so much podcasts, like <laughs> these type of live events, they just, they just weren't there. Um, and so marketing was very limited in what it could do. Um, and so basically what prospecting is, is I consider it's the worst kind of marketing. It's like really outdated feel like, like marketing that sales used to do back in the day when marketing just sort of really lacked the ability to, to kind of bring folks in the door. They said, Hey, salespeople go knock on doors, go call people in the phone book you know, do whatever to try and get try to get folks. Um and so for me, prospecting is code word for for the worst kind of marketing. And today that's telemarketing, email spam, and LinkedIn spam. It's just going out and like, you know, hey, can I get 15 minutes? Can you get it? Can you want to speak to sales? You want to speak to sales? Um and so when particular revenue came along and said, hey, sales used to do this, it's really inefficient, inefficient and ineffective, and it's not a sales thing, it's a marketing thing, let's create SDRs. Let's have you know people do prospecting full-time and then that's when the kind of the sdr model came about so you've got marketing you've got sdrs and then you got sales um, and any aspiring seller needs to first become an sdr um, and do that sort of grind and so that's kind of like the history around prospecting um, and so i see prospecting fundamentally as yeah it's it does more harm than good um, i don't think a lot of companies realize how harmful prospecting and the SDRs are. Um, and that's why I call my book the death of the SDR. I mean, yes, it's like marketing. It's like death of the SDR. It's like, you know, but fundamentally it's the symbol of the particular revenue model. And I see I see it as the core problem in B2B marketing and sales today that um, it crowds out good marketing. It crowds out good modern marketing. It's, um, you know, preventing that. It's basically putting a lot of marketers in a straitjacket. Um, you know, that they have to kind of, tailor a lot of their marketing efforts to support the SDRs um, which are immensely time capital and labor intensive um, and so there's re- a lot of resources that you could otherwise be deploying into good, good marketing um, and then you know we know that buyers we don't they don't like the telemarketing they don't like the email spam they don't like LinkedIn spam they're kind of tuning out and turning off and so you when you kind of go out there spamming and annoying people you're gonna get the response which is no response or Uh, People telling you to take a walk, Um, and even the very rare buyers who who do take a meeting, um, oftentimes are less likely to show up. They're less likely to buy. They're less likely to buy as fast. That harms your your sales team. That harms your sales efficiency. Puts junk in the pipeline, basically. So you have longer sales cycles. You've got you know lower conversion rates. Garbage in, garbage out, right? Um, And so, and you're doing a lot of damage to your reputation, and you're doing a lot of damage to your company. and so you you don't want to be that, that, that person. And so I think ultimately like the, and we could talk about what good marketing looks like instead um, you know, and we, maybe someone will ask about that. Like, and what, what does that look like maybe in a younger company versus a older company? But I think no matter which growth stage you're in or who you're selling to or how much your product or service costs um, prospecting is net negative. Um, it's net negative. Um, and it's also, you know, so, I'll kind of pause there on prospecting. I, you know, before kind of, I didn't want to ramble on to like the sales assembly line or quotas and commissions. I kind of want to, you know, pause there for any reaction on that and see if you want to want it to go deeper or have a, have a reaction there.
1: Yeah. Let us know if you want to go deeper on prospecting and SDRs. There are, uh, there's a couple of questions there. Thanks, uh, wine and, uh, um, I want to say Maya. uh, um, hopefully I got your pronunciation right. Uh, I'll ask these questions whilst we pause. Um, so, Winand asks, uh, "Do you have any suggestions on how to best name the AE CSM hybrid role? Uh, preferably, we'd name it something that doesn't make sense, uh, I guess, to the buyer to think that person is earning commissions." Um, uh, and he puts it in brackets: "Their commission breath." Um, and then uh, Weinand uh, then also says, uh, "In your book, you mentioned rewarding these roles with a salary plus bonus instead of commissions." Any suggestions on what bonus should be based on and KPIs for this role in general? So two two great questions there, um, which if you're happy to take now, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. I guess I've sort of asked them and then we can go kind of go back uh, to see if we want to go deeper into the prospects and we'll move on to the, the sales assembly line.
0: Yeah. Hey, Vinon. Um And I would say that so the question is how to best name the AE slash CSM role. So... Um, we haven't talked about it yet, but I did mention briefly the, the sales assembly line that I, I think that that's bad, and we'll talk about that. But essentially, I think that you should combine the AE and the CSM role; that you should have one seller instead of two sellers. Um, and I, I don't think it matters as much what you call it. Um, but if your goal is to make the buyer aware that your seller isn't on commission, so that your seller is more likely to trust, or oh, sorry, the buyer is more likely to trust the seller, then let that be known on your website. Um, and I think that's a that's a kind of a competitive advantage. Um, you know, a lot of companies are moving away from commissions. We'll talk about that and they are trying to make their buyers aware. It's like, Hey, we've got non-commissioned sales rep. Um, so like Tesla or Charles Schwab or microchip technology or backblades or Coltramp or Pluralsight. Um, and so if that's your goal, it's not so much the name as it is just letting your buyers know maybe you on the website. Um, now, and if it was up to me, I would just say it's sales, <laughs> you know, I'm a, you know, it's just a seller or you can give it, you know, whatever name you want. Um, I think for the purposes, we'll talk, you know, as the market shifts, the talent shifts, like if people adopt the, the, the single seller to, you know, buyer model, which I advocate for, as opposed to these assembly line sellers, then, you know, people will come up with all sorts of different names to kind of distinguish that from the AECSM split. Now in terms of compensa- sales compensation. So yeah, I do think that commissions are net negative, um, harmful to everyone, buyers, sellers, and the companies themselves. Um no one benefits from it. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about it. And people don't realize, like with prospecting, what all the costs are, direct costs, um, you know, less obvious costs and and opportunity costs. Um and so you said any suggestions on what that bonus should should be based on? Um, because yeah, I, I say instead of getting rid, you know, instead of a commission, offer a full salary and bonus. Um, the bonus can be calculated like, you know, it typically is in 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 companies like you could have uh, maybe there's some individual component, some team component, maybe a company component, or you just kind of keep it very simple. Maybe you do a team component, um, you know, based on the, the, the goal attainment of, let's say, the sales team. Um, so it could be like maybe 50% individual, 50% team, um, or it could be like based on the company as a whole. It could be like, you know, the company's doing well, we're growing, um, the profits were looking good. Like, you know, let's let's reward everyone with this bonus this year. Um, so you can kind of chop up or structure your bonus really however you want. I think fundamentally the bonus is just icing on the cake. What's more important is the salary for people. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I think just giving your giving your folks a full salary instead of today, which is half salary, half commission. Um, and I don't think people should confuse commission and bonus. Um, like if you think about the cake analogy, commission is half the cake, which you have no idea if when and how much you're going to eat. Um and there's and there's a whole lot more problems to commission, which I cover in great detail. Um but a bonus is icing on the cake. So
1: awesome. We we we've got so hopefully that answers the question there, Wine. And um there there's a string of questions um uh, flooding in now. Uh do you want to jump into those before um going into uh anything else on the uh the, the sales assembly line, et cetera?
0: Yeah, so <laughs> I'll spend a bit more time on prospecting. Um because I think that's really the fundamental thing that's, you know, holding back marketing. I see it as bad marketing, essentially. Um, and companies, they have a mixture of good marketing and bad marketing. And I think it's, um, you know, it's companies need to separate those two mixtures and then properly, uh, analyze them, um, and see which side their bread is buttered on and then realize, wow, actually the ROI is much better, uh, on good marketing and, um, we should, move away from bad marketing and just do good marketing um so what david Hensel says we see prospecting more as relationship building and providing value to the prospect the days of spamming or spray spray and pray are over um but if you have a you know better angle on prospecting instead of hey like speak to to sales um that'll work better so this is where good marketing comes in so it's it's demand gen and and marketing like Fundamentally, I see demand gen as like the modern form of the SDR and in direct competition for the SDR for resources and and freedom to be able to generate leads for sales. Um, And a lot of demand gen folks, like, you know, as I mentioned before, are kind of lamenting SDRs that that, like they have to kind of divert resources and focus away to supporting bad marketing. Um, But it's, yeah, it's marketing's role. It's demand gen's role um, to basically go out there in the market and educate your buyers, inform your buyers, um, put out, you know, so let's talk about good marketing for a bit. Um, you know, all of marketing is outbound. So kind of throw out that kind of misleading inbound outbound dichotomy. It's not just like marketing just puts up a website and just waits for people to kind of come and knock on sales door. And that, unless we kind of go out to the market, uh, with telemarketing and email spam and LinkedIn spam, no one will ever come in. Um, so good marketing. So good marketing these days, essentially is, um, primarily content marketing with really good distribution, primarily on social media. And a whole bunch of other stuff which we'll talk about um, but that's kind of like the primary thrust um, so whether it's written audio or visual content like a you know like a podcast or live events like this um fireside chats panels um and or or linkedin posts or you know blogs um or you know doing guest posts and things like that um and then you're distributing that content in places where your buyers are. So it's whether, whether you're doing like organic or paid. So whether you're, you know, doing ads or, you know, just distributing this stuff, you know, let's say on, on YouTube or on your email list or on LinkedIn, um, or, or if you're running ads behind this content in your message, whether it's on Facebook ads or LinkedIn ads or YouTube ads, Reddit, Twitter, whatever, uh, Google ads, um. So it's marketing's job to kind of go out there and make the buyer aware and put out this content um, so that people consume your content and that they come back for more and more because you're providing value. You're, you know, making them aware who you are um, and you keep doing that. And you don't like, if imagine, imagine if all of a sudden Alex or me hit you guys with a sales pitch after this, like how many of you would keep coming back? If we kind of hit you with a slimy pitch, we put you into an SDR cadence. Um, you wouldn't, it's not, you know, you, but you keep coming back for the content. You become aware, uh, you know, of Alex and, and, and Sastock and everything that he does. And, you know, and me, and maybe you eventually you kind of hit us up now that is what marketing should be about. So you're doing all this stuff to kind of bring, make people aware. And eventually they will come to your website. They'll learn about you or they'll check, you know, if, if it's a personal profile on LinkedIn, they'll check you out. They will, that, that's how people buy to it. That's how you buy to it. If you think about how you actually become aware of stuff or you talk about how you become aware of stuff, it's like, yeah, oh yeah, I saw this podcast or on social media or, you know, in, in this community or in this Slack group, um, you know, or I saw this ad on LinkedIn or Facebook or I attended this event or whatnot. Um, and, uh, or word of mouth, like, yeah, so-and-so spoke to me about this and they use it. Um, and so... Ultimately, um, it's, it's, it's the goal of marketing. I think to drive people to the website and to request a demo to speak to sales. That is a lead, a lead is someone that comes to your website, requests a demo marketing automatically qualifies on the website. That's a lead. Everything before that is just contact information of uninterested buyers. And that's what an MQL is. And that's what most marketing teams are kind of held accountable today. It's just like, Hey, let's generate contact information of uninterested buyers you know, that we've either captured through gated content, which shouldn't be gated or list purchases um, or people who attend events and trying to capture their contact information so that you can then give that information to SDRs and then bug these people to go speak to sales. And I think that's awful. It's like, you know, there today, again, there's a mixture of both. So it's like you have often the play today is like marketing is going to do all the stuff. to like woo buyers, put out the content, do the events, do the ads, you know, remarkets, previous buyer and users do referral campaigns you know case studies and 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 review sites and you know the whole the whole nine yards um and then as buyers are kind of engaging with that content kind of signing up for events or coming on the podcast doing co-marketing doing partner marketing whatever um then they're like well let's get the sdrs on them um and try to pull them into sales and i, I kind of equate that so if you're at that bar and using that bar analogy it's like the guy is wooing the girl and letting them know what he's about and putting on the charm. And then he asks the girl to marry him and like, or, or as a jerk at the end. And then he wonders why he never hears back or he gets slapped in the face. Um, and so I, I think that it's like, you, you need to, I think, focus or kind of reorient what, what marketing should be doing. Um, and that marketing should be giving sales these layups. And that's the leads that sales wants. These are the people who come into their explicitly raising their hand to speak to sales marketing can automatically qualify them on the website those are the buyers that are more likely to buy, buy faster at a much less cost. And that is what you should be solely focused on. Um, don't dilute the champagne with poison. Like don't put junk through and waste your sales time, which is why a lot of companies will have a very bloated sales team um, and have too much sales headcount. And these sellers are missing their revenue and their sales cycles are very long and their conversion rates are very long. Um, and, the, and the cost per acquisition, the CAC payback period isn't looking too good. Um, so yeah, I think you just need to... You know um you know marketing can do good marketing can be one-to-one it could be one to few and it could be one to many um you know and so and you don't need sdrs for that and you don't want sdrs for that um like I, the, what i'm advocating now for companies that do have sdrs just so you understand is not to like fire them overnight it's to repurpose them to more productive marketing activities like product marketing demand gen content social um, which already kind of SDRs are somewhat doing today, but they really can't because they've got quotas and commissions. The SDR is not a junior marketer, which is what I think they should be. They should be like a junior generalist marketer. Like companies should have entry-level marketers who kind of jack-of-all-trades and help with this and help with that. Um, one-off emails here or whatever, helping with events there. Um, and that's what SDRs, you know, kind of should be repurposed in today. But they cannot do good marketing it you know if you're telling them hey go telemarket email spam and LinkedIn, and do all these like high activities make this many calls make this many dials and you have to make x many meetings otherwise half of your compensation um, you won't get so you, you can't tell them to to kind of you know so yeah can some SDRs some of the time like have good outreach that buyers receive and take a meeting and then buy yes um, compared to what. Um, is the big question and is it worth it and my answer is when you take into the totality of everything um it's not and it does more harm than good so i'll pause there um as so we have some more questions what do you think alex
1: yeah you know uh, uh, definitely uh, it, it's it's super interesting um i kind of agree but also like certainly you know there's there's some conflicts because, uh, you, you know on, on my side but we we've had recently Chris Walker um, <clears throat> on um, from uh, Refine, Refine Labs, Labs. yeah, uh, uh, and uh, yeah, very much. Obviously, uh, he's kind of uh, all in, as you can you can a man, uh, imagine, on demand gen and building a very successful business in a short period of time by you, you know drinking his own champagne. Um, it it kind of links in, I guess, a, a kind of question here from from Justin to what you said, and I guess kind of what what Chris I- is doing. Where uh, Justin Halfpenny uh, from Catify, so he mentions uh, for a new startup, demand generation, Chris Walker style, uh, can take time to get working. Uh, do you assume no? At all. Uh, as a note, this is where we are, and we're, i.e., me, doing outbound prospecting to high value, highly targeted or persona uh, sort of account based marketing. Uh, Um, so yeah, what are your, your thoughts?
0: Yeah. So I would say that that, that what I consider prospecting like the telemarketing, email spam, LinkedIn spam and that type of stuff, just, it's not a shortcut to growth, it's a shortcut to like loss and and, like it's harm. And so, um, if you're a young company, um, I would avoid that. It's even more harmful if you're a younger company. Um, you know, so it's, I would say it's slightly less harmful if you're a bigger company with a bigger brand name and the massive market, and it's like, you've got a lot of money to waste or you're venture backed and you don't mind wasting all that money. Um, and you got high margins. You know, there's a lot of other influencing factors to the degree of the harm that you do, the pretty revenue model of prospecting like margins and competition and demand and the, the quality of your product, all that type of stuff. Um, but in any case, if you're a younger company, here's what I would do instead of going out and, and like dialing everyone in the phone book um, and spamming people. If you're a young founder or a young company you are doing founder marketing okay until you can hire someone to to, to take that over so what that looks like because you've got limited resources and limited time um, so you can do a number of things one is like you work your network obviously you reach out to people you already know and you say hey can, you know you either give them the product for free or you or you or you know you have them uh, pay pay you for it. Oftentimes, it's a good idea just to give like give the product for free for like ten people, and chances are they might even buy after or they refer their friends. Um, but you, you know, you want to get some product market fit. You want to test out the product. You just want to get people. So so get that product out there. Give give it to your network. You know, there's product hunt. There's communities like 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 SaaS Talk where you can kind of network and you know attend events and things like that and make people aware of you and what you're trying to do to kind of get folks in the door. So you know you can also just ask people for like feedback. Um, so it's not a, it's not a salesy thing. It's, you're not saying, Hey, take a demo. It's like, Hey, I'm a founder. I'm doing this. Like you are in my audience. I'd love to kind of get some feedback from you, not a sales pitch, whatever. Just like, just, just your two cents of, you know, what I'm trying to do here. Um, that's kind of one thing. Um, the other thing is like posting on LinkedIn, like LinkedIn is free. It's where a lot of B2B audiences are like go post, go comment, go connect with people, um, build your brand there. Um, and just do that on a regular basis. Um, in addition to that, go guest podcast, like go and like, share your expertise, share your whatever opinion or point of view that you, you have. Um, and you don't need to be like saying like a Messiah and saying like amazing, interesting things. You just kind of like, you know, you can kind of recycle what generally what people are saying or what whatnot, or, you know, you don't have to be wowing people all the time. Um, You know, just a couple tips and stuff like that. Nothing, you know, people are always starting from different levels. So, you know, some people might have heard it before. Some people may have not. But yeah, go out there and guest podcast Um, and uh, go out there and do like events, like go and join like me. I'm on this panel or I'm on this fireside chat, like go and engage your audience there. And that now you have a lot of content. And then, you know, maybe even create a podcast of your own. Um, like Alex did. So Alex, you know, started with blogging and then he did, launched a podcast and then he had a community and then things like that. And that's how the kind of stuff began, more or less, you know, at least what I'm aware of. But, um, so you're going out there, you're creating content, you're distributing that content, you know? So it's like, you do, uh, you do a podcast, get the recording, get the audio recording, upload it to YouTube, the full thing, chop it up. Um, and then put like micro clips on, on LinkedIn or whatnot. Um, and uh yeah so to get that message out there put it on your website whatnot um so so do that you can even do if you were to do paid ads like i would recommend facebook it's just cheaper than linkedin ads um and get your message out like accelerate distribution of your message to your target audience it depends how big your target audience is, whatnot but like you can kind of guarantee distribution of your message or your content there um so yeah so get out there be speaking you know hitting up your hitting up your network whatnot um stuff like that is, is, is like what i recommend maybe maybe to start um and then you'll see like you you're you're gonna have these th- these things have like compounding yield and network effect and and sort of a variety you know customers breed customers people come aware of you word of mouth this and that so like you, you know you're also getting involved in communities and like so for let's say you're hitting up marketing and sales you're probably going to be active in like rev genius or revenue collective kind of answering people's questions you know, they've got, they're trying to like do their job and things like that, or maybe you become a chapter head or whatever. So it's just like, you start to build yourself up. People become aware of you and, and what your company is. Um, and you, you, you know, maybe even offer people a free trial, right, it's great, kind of get people in the door, just using it, talking about it, a beta. You offer people like a beta, sign up a free beta, whatnot. Um, Stuff like that is what I would do, um, you know, for starters, if you're a younger company. And then hopefully you bring in, you know, a marketer when you're maybe about like 1 million in revenue and you've got product market fit and you've done the founder-led marketing as well as sales and everything else, um, you know. Um, but then you bring in a marketer to then to help support you and kind of amplify that um, and, and do some other stuff as well now that you've got more money and things.
1: Awesome. Uh, thanks for sharing that, Nelson. And I think like on the uh hopefully uh, justin let us know if that ans- answers your questions or if you have got any, any, any more around that on the podcasting thing uh, i've been doing it for uh, for 6 years very much uh agree and sort like you know passionate around just like well two sides of it one creating your own podcast get going with that i know like uh, for instance david H- Hensel has his own podcast i think justin uh maybe you started your own podcast uh, i i think i saw that sort of recently so i'd love to see that both creating your own podcast and thinking about the, the strategic value of creating content for your business but the guest podcasting the the kind of assumption i'm making here and, and perhaps i'm wrong and, and also uh, for people uh those that are here could uh, potentially challenge me on uh, but maybe they're thinking like what uh, what would i have to say if i went on to this podcast you know because i'm kind of early stage SaaS founder what would you you, you know um why would i they invite me on what is my specialization But what I believe around that is, look, you you are a founder. You, you know you're uh, building, uh, you know, great businesses here. You all have stories to tell on you, you know why you decided to start building your business, what you were doing before, what you're doing to build the businesses, the challenges that you're having, etc. and so on. Uh, and there's going to be a whole market there that can kind of relate to that. Um, so everybody has a story. Like sometimes when I'm invited to go and speak on a podcast, or I invite myself to speak on a podcast. I often think about, oh, fuck, you know, like, what am I going to say? Like, you you know, I'm not like an expert, but then, you you know, naturally then you just kind of get into your story and they ask you about the things that you're building a business and there's a lot of, like, insights kind of into that. And then once you've created this piece of content, whether it's your own podcast or this guest podcast, also like you mentioned, our kind of model is like, you you know, we publish it on the, um, you know, all the podcast players. or uh, So you get the audio, publish it on YouTube, uh, push it through rev.com to get a you know transcription you, we can use you, you know excerpts of the transcription for like LinkedIn posts and social posts uh, then we also chop up the the video uh, we recently uh, we, we um, uh, started working with this company in Nepal who basically chops up all our videos for us for like dirt cheap uh, and then we've got all these um, uh you know different like snippets and stuff and the bite-sized content that we can produce so there's so much like repurposing that you can do so from one conversation like we're having today you can cr- create a whole you know week's worth of like content and not and then that as you said compounds um, so definitely you, you know a, a big believer in that and then you do see like even like six months time somebody might you know come in and say hey i listened to that conversation like you, you know that you had like with nelson or whatever and you you know uh, that can lead to to something or you know just a, a conversation somebody in your your network. but uh, definitely if, uh, my thoughts are even if you're early stage, which like uh, Justin is, and you, you know to start working on that because it, it is a long game, but you can also get some quick wins, uh, I, I think from that uh, as well. and and like you say, the 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 buyers today are probably going to be a lot warmer, uh, a whole lot warmer through you you know relating to that content then you know receiving a cold email
0: totally and i think yeah the emphasis there is there's both short-term and long-term wins um and so you will get people in the short term who are really good quality people um good quality leads and you're paving also for accelerating and compounding long-term stuff um and you're not pissing off buyers you're not pestering them you're not turning them off and you're not wasting your time and your efforts um and you're you're also doing great product market fit feedback. So when you're doing a podcast, I highly recommend you do um, have your own podcast. You could just use zoom. It doesn't have to be fancy schmancy, uh, you know, recording thing, invite the influencers, invite your target audience on um, and do co market It's basically you're doing co marketing with them. And then you also share that content with them so that they can then amplify that to their social networks and stuff like that. And you, it's like, so it's like, think about right now, just content in social media is like this snowball content, you know, um, you know, they're just, just gets bigger and bigger. And so, yeah, and then you're speaking to the, you're speaking to your audience, you're asking them the questions that, you know, you can ask them whatever you want. You can ask them questions that like some of them that you kind of want to know to help you with your product and understanding, you know, who your buyers and what they care about and stuff like that. Um, and you will become an expert at the more and more you speak to people, as Alex probably has, he's become more and more, he's developed more and more expertise. So you, even if you're not the expert today, just kind of come up with some questions, some general questions, um, and then you start to develop your own point of view and your own expertise because you're consuming content and then therefore developing your own opinions. Um, and then you become a thought leader. And that's kind of when it, where it gets really spicy, where it's like when you start to be someone that other people look to for advice and like to level up, that's when your content really like drives up, it drives up that consumption. Um, but yeah, other, invite other people to co-create the content, invite your audience, invite influencers to do that kind of co-marketing type of stuff so that people keep coming down, keep coming for your content. And you're not scaring them away if they consume your content, then with a cadence and stuff like that, or just like spamming them. Um, Just keep delivering that type of value.
1: Awesome. But conscious of time, there's quite a a few things that I think we still want to get on, and some questions from the audience, and uh, a couple that I have uh, as well. Um, um, So I'll just quickly read through the the audience ones here. And I'm not sure. So we got a question from Piet uh, Boyk, who. says don't you need to bootstrap your environment um if you ask your customers what they want they will refer to what they already know um and yeah so i'm not sure and then he also he just commented there but i think this is going to be very difficult for complex sales um any comments uh around that someone Nelson?
0: yeah i'm not sure what he means but i'll address the point about yeah. complex sales so many people think that their sales is complex but they actually just have bad marketing and so it makes it very difficult for buyers to understand who you are, what you do, how much you cost and stuff like that. So a lot of companies right now aren't giving like, they will hide the information about the product behind sales. And so another thing I forgot to mention is your website. So like, just have a really good website where you put out your information there about who you are, what you do, why you do it, your pricing, your frequently asked questions and put a demo recording, like everything that a buyer would want to know, um, like just try to give that to them upfront, like don't try to hide it behind sales. So your website is your 24 seven seller. Just think about that that's it's your 24 7 seller so make sure it's really tasty um no sometimes the things look the same on the outside but, uh okay um so what i would say is um you know to the extent like if your product is very complex versus when it's transactional will kind of change your go-to-market like you know what, what, what your marketing sales strategy is like are you just trying to enable buyer self-service to the extent desired and possible um you know and is there less like work that sales needs to do because it's just plug and play um and you don't need to kind of customize it imp- like do a whole lengthy implementation like crm software versus like a like a bolt-on on you know um that you just run a gun with so it kind of then depend you know that will change like you know do we do a freemium model do we do we do um you know uh buyer self-service to some extent where you can just hit the buy button on the website maybe you don't even need to speak to sales i think there'll be some companies that start to move in that direction i'd like to see more of that which is like you know they don't necessarily need sales they could just buy now i think that kind of like that's kind of like so the ideal that people can kind of strive for to some extent um in any case um so yeah i would say that a lot of companies even if they're selling into enterprise and they're selling complex products with big implementations and like massive deal sizes you can dramatically improve your conversion rates and um your sales cycles just with through good marketing and sales and so i think mark um just be aware that if under the current model like marketing is sort of incentivized and pressured um to just put a lot of junk through the pipeline and then yeah sales gets caught holding the bag which is one reason why there's the market which is the big reason why there's marketing and sales misalignment marketing celebrates generating contact info of uninterested buyers and sales is responsible for revenue. <laughs> so, and sales is not performing very well. And, and so like you could, you know, a lot of, you know, and, and I think you mentioned Chris Walker from refund labs, you know, and he's, you know, helped a lot of companies go from like really long sales cycles and they're selling expensive products and complex sales, uh, you know, or complex products and these have to dramatically reduce sales cycles and conversion rates. Um, so it's just better marketing and sales. Um, yeah. So,
1: yeah, there's a question there from another one from Wineand. So he said, do you believe attacking the old way of doing things like you do with your book title usually works well when positioning a B2B SaaS company? Um, that's very common. So uh, what Wynand is saying is
0: like a lot of times in, in, in terms of positioning or messaging your product or service, you'll say, hey, the old way is dumb. Here's the new way. Um, and, yeah, that, that's, that's totally fine if it's true. <laughs> um and and that makes sense so uh you know my my i'm challenging the predictable revenue model um and i'm offering a new model um the buyer-centric revenue model um and so you know you've got to offer a positive right you got to make it very clear what's the old way what's the new way so don't just bash the old way because it's easy to criticize um and to, and to put something down or the old way down but you need to show people a positive that they you know Anyway, so, yeah, I think it, that's totally fine. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, but, uh, I, I don't know whether it was Chris Walker's uh, workshop that we did, but uh, I remember a workshop where um, we were seeing some websites uh, of very well-known SaaS companies, and they were all doing, like, here's the old way of doing things, and here's the new way, and they all had that on their website. So um, pretty common uh, as well. Um, uh, a, a couple of questions here so uh, one is that you you mentioned a whole bunch of companies that um, and uh, in the book and and, and today uh, as well that are, are implementing this kind of biocentric model um, can you give any more kind of like details around so things like co- companies like culture amp but specifically in SAS like what they're doing and you know, maybe some of the kind of the, the results uh, and then kind of second question not necessarily related to that uh, you've also touched a little bit in terms of you know Repatriating SDRs, kind of into demand gen and, and stuff like that. Uh, I guess, kind of like, if people were in, uh, interested, uh, you know, if they're not already doing uh, implementing biocentric revenue model, what are the steps that they can take to to start doing it? So, two questions, not well, quite tied together, but that's what's on, on my mind with with the 13 minutes that we've. got. Yeah, sure.
0: Yeah, sure. So, you know, I mentioned, you know. S- Basically companies can, will adopt different aspects or have already adopted different aspects of the buyer centric revenue model, which again is get rid of prospecting, just do good marketing, do modern, you know, demand gen drive website demo requests, um, to your website. Um, and, uh, the other thing is like, yeah, get rid of the sales assembly line. Um, like just have like, you know, a single buyer to seller relationship. The seller can bring in other people from the company when necessary, like bring in the technical expertise or bring in someone to help with implementation. But it's like there's a single seller responsible for the initial sale expansion retention. It's good for the seller. It's good for the buyer. It's great for the company. You don't have these bloated sales orgs. You've a more efficacious seller instead of these stunted sellers. Um, And that, yeah, you get rid of uh, commissions. You replace that with a full salary and bonus. And then you get rid of kind of like the crappy quotas today, which are like these short-term quotas that are also, again, tied to your commission um, and publicly the attainment is publicly displayed on a dashboard, all that kind of crap. Um, and yeah. And, and just to stop that, like, you know, you can have prop have proper goals, you know, you can have revenue goals and stuff like that, but like, you know, don't tie that to commission. Don't make these like this type of unnecessary pressure on sellers. So they pressure buyers, lose, lose, all that type of stuff. Um, and then, um, so companies will adopt certain aspects of that to different extents not you know there's no company i to my knowledge yet that said that yep yeah, we chucked out the predictable revenue model and we are fully buyer-centric revenue model like i published my book maybe two months ago <laughs> um, and i'm learning i'm I'm going out to the market and i'm speaking to people to kind of learn what they're doing and again there's a mixture kind of of both the predictive revenue model and to some extent the buyer-centric revenue models in a lot of companies when it comes to commissions um example companies include microchip technologies which has like a couple thousand sellers globally and worked marvelous for them to cover them um backblaze culture amp plural site legion logistics and b2c there's um, tesla there's uh charles schwab a whole bunch of other people um now in terms of let's say getting with the sales assembly line so i think you know there's a lot of people who've kind of done that shopify did that very famously and they had you know they were selling a product north of ten thousand whatever and they had amazing results just just having a single seller single buyer type of model um let's see now you know, again, a lot of companies have a mixture between of, like, prospecting and demand gen. Um, and so it's kind of trying to separate that out um, and comparing the two. But I think, um, you know, if anyone goes into their own company, well, and I'll, I'll address the other part of the question, which is, like, um, like how at your own company can you figure stuff out and maybe make a – and I recommend that people kind of start with a comparison and hear the steps to kind of compare the predictive revenue model or kind of what, you know, the baseline and, and, uh, be able to kind of gradually, uh, move away from it through experiments. So experimenting, if it works, then you kind of double down on it, continue with it. And then maybe, and then gradually transition, um, provided it's working. Um, so what I recommend for people, um, when it's starting with prospecting is go into your CRM and compare, uh, the leads generated from SDRs versus the leads generated from demand and other website demo requests. And then you compare that against revenue um, and uh, you know number of opportunities, cost per opportunity, conversion rate, sales cycle, cost per acquisition, cost per acquisition payback period. Um, and you'll see like which leads are more efficacious, like, you know, so, and you'll, you'll see. And then also consider how much resources are you pumping into SDRs versus how much resources, how much time capital labor are you pumping into demand gen? SDRs again are very time capital labor intensive and oftentimes demand gen has to do a lot to support them. Um, and, uh, then you factor in what it does to SDR talent. Like it's a waste of talent, the high turnover, the low tenure, the low productivity, low performance. It's like, why not repurpose them to do more productive stuff? Um, and then you think about the harm to buyers, buyers turning off, t- tuning out, um, you know, you can see that to some extent in your CRM. You can see like people who do not call, take me off your list, like unsubscribes, all that type of stuff. Um, but oftentimes they don't tell you. So then you kind of get a, kind of get a bit of a picture of like, You know the cost of prospecting versus um like dimension and also the opportunity cost of not doing more dimension whatever um or redeploying those resources more productively and that's sort of the first step it kind of exposes the inefficiency and the ineffectiveness of sdrs relative to proper good marketing um now uh i just lost my train of thought oh um yeah so the the second step is to then propose an experiment and so go to the you know a lot of these folks are founders. So you guys are, you guys have the keys, the car, but a lot of people maybe who are report like heads of sales or heads of marketing, um, you know, need to get the CEO's blessing for this or the board's blessing or the VC's blessing whoever owns the company. So just propose an experiment, just say, Hey, like here are the results of that, um, analysis. I'd like to propose an experiment where, um, we first automate inbound demo requests, Uh, qualification and and demo scheduling right on the website and we route those folks directly to sales so basically kind of getting rid of the inbound SDRs and then repurposing those inbound SDRs to more productive marketing tasks like content demand gen social whatever product marketing just repurpose those SDRs and during that time give them a quota relief Um, give them quota relief and then we SDRs will be thrilled and then you'll see that 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 works amazingly well. Those buyers will actually show up to the meeting. They'll, those meetings will happen much faster. And those meetings were more likely to close. Um, and uh, much better buying experience than the whole SDR runaround. And then the second experiment to do is to gradually reduce prospecting by 25% increments. So if you're doing X many telephone calls, te- you know X many emails, X many LinkedIn messages, um, just reduce that by 25% increments. Um, again, give quota relief, and repurpose the SDRs to more productive marketing activities. Um, and yeah, you're like redeploying those resources to again more productive marketing. And so again, and then track those re- measures over time, um, revenue, opportunities, conversion rate, sales cycle, cost of opportunity, CAC, CAC payback, things like that, um, to kind of see how you're performing. Um, and you'll see that things will things will be improving. Your SDRs will be much happier for it. you you know, your marketing team will be much happier for it. Your sales team will be much happier for it. Um, and you'll get, you know, marketing and sales efficiency. You'll have a really strong engine.
1: Awesome. Uh, I've got two two final questions for you, uh, Nelson. One, do you think you're going to receive a, a Christmas card from Aaron Ross? Uh, and uh, and two, where can people find your book?
0: Yeah, sure. So um, you know, I have tremendous respect for for Aaron Ross and what he's achieved and what he's accomplished for the community. Um, you know, he shared his model that worked to some extent for him 20 years ago and and to some extent has helped companies. Um, you know, over and over time I just think that that has greatly diminished. Like I think uh Acquia or aquio however you pronounce them, the, the so-called darling child of the predictable revenue model, the CEO Tom Wentworth. Um had a chat with Chris Walker the other day and he said, like, yeah, in hindsight, the predictable revenue model in the SDR has held us back. Like I think that held Acquia from going from going public. Like um you know it, it it uh you know so um i would say but i would say aaron aaron's model influenced me it helped me to kind of understand like you know the world of bb marketing and sales and that helped influence my model so and i've had i've exchanged a few messages with him very cordial very professional very respectful and i, and I give him a tribute in my book um so all all respects to Aaron and his great team at predictable revenue the consulting firm that he founded we recently hosted, they invited me to do a panel on this topic, and we had a great conversation to help the community kind of understand this and to see if some people, you know, just kind of help uh, people rethink this stuff and maybe tailor uh, and make, make changes and improvements. So, um, and then the other thing about how people can, can find me or or get the books, the book right now is on Amazon, um, The Death of the SDR and the Birth of Buyer Centric Revenue um if you have kindle unlimited it's free if you don't you have to pay nine dollars oh my god talk about big acvs um <laughs> so i uh hope you grab it um and then if you read it reach out to me and we're happy to chat about it um you know love to get your point of view and, and uh, your take and your anecdotes and or any feedback you know good or bad that, that you have and you can find me on linkedin so reach out to me on linkedin nelson gilead or shoot me an email at uh, nelson at buyercentricrevenue.com. And then these days, I also recently, I haven't really publicly launched it, but um, I'm the CEO of Buyer Centric Revenue LLC, which is a B2B marketing sales consultancy, uh, an agency to, to help folks adopt and implement this model. So helping them with, with marketing and helping them with sales, and helping them do, to kind of do this transition. Um, and so if people kind of need like an extra pair of hands, if they, if they really need, like, you know, think that, hey, how do, how do you do this? And some people have already reached out for that. Then I'm happy to kinda to help there.
1: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SAS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it and if you learned something from it, check out SASDOC.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SASDOC conferences around the world.